Exodus chapter 3 tonight. One of the unique things that we as Americans celebrate at Christmas time, and probably the rest of the world looks at us maybe like we're a little bit oddballish, is the fact that we put these trees in our, our, our house. Sometimes those trees are real. Most of the time they're fake because we don't want to clean them up. But on these trees, we put what we call ornaments on them. And these ornaments are sometimes glass. They are decorative in nature. And if you'll give me the liberty, I would like to say that our church is somewhat of a Christmas tree. And around it are ornaments of grace all over its congregation. And I say that because while my sister was singing, I couldn't help but think, well, you asked me 10 to 12 years ago if Mandy would have been standing in front of a congregation singing a song about the Lord. Well, I wouldn't have thought so. And that's not to indict Mandy, but to be honest with you, weren't we all there at one point? Boy, and we've been there, and we'd say, well, you know, years and years ago, I couldn't imagine myself sitting in church preaching to a congregation, and that's just the reality of it. And the way a church is to be is decorated with ornaments of grace and people all around that are not perfect. Some have flaws. Mandy married Craig. That's a pretty big flaw. But we, none of us are perfect, but aren't we all somewhat ornaments of God's grace in our own life? Man, we're a long way from what we need to be, but God has been good to us to get us where we are. And I just, as I, I listen to Mandy sing that song, I just remember a time when, when honestly things did seem too hard for God. And maybe that's just a complete lack of faith in my own mind, in my own heart, but God proved himself strong once again. And I'm sure in your life you've sensed times like that as well. Exodus chapter 3 tonight. Um, We are kind of continuing where we picked up. This is some of my favorite Bible and and, and stories in the Bible is found right here in these passages. And and the reason I'm kind of stuck preaching here is just because I think there's so much truth. I really believe a preacher could just look at the burning bush experience and probably preach a year's worth of sermons out of that and really blow people's minds because there's so much theology in that one event. Now, we're going to move on past that, but you have to understand we are just on the backside of that encounter. In fact, God is still speaking. In Exodus chapter 3, verse number 16, we pick up right after God has informed Moses that he says, I am that I am. And he said, when you go to the children of Israel, you tell them that I am hath sent you. Verse number 16, he begins to give instructions to Moses. And as we read these verses, I want you to try picking out every promise that God makes to Moses. In just these few short verses, you'll notice that God continues to make promise after promise to Moses. Verse number 16 of Exodus chapter 3, the Bible says... Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, verse 17 is a promise. He says, I will bring you up 
out of the affliction of Egypt. Verse number 18. And they shall hearken to thy voice. There's another promise. And thou shalt come, and thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. There's another promise. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. There's another promise. And I will stretch out my hand, there's a promise, and and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. There's another promise. And after that, he will let you go, another promise. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, another promise. And it shall come to pass, there's a promise, that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. There's a promise. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. There's a promise. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. There's another promise. And it would be very easy to read through this passage of Scripture and just perceive them to be a set of instructions to Moses But when God gives instructions, oftentimes He will wrap them up in a promise that if we will do something, He will then take it and make it something much greater than it would be otherwise. I want to speak to you on this thought tonight, and it's it's wrapped up in this core uh, set of promises. It is the cause and effect of Christianity. You see, I've done a little research, and... Many of the promises that God made are very reactionary. Now, tonight I want to be very clear. I'm not preaching a works Christianity. I am, however, preaching a Christianity that does work. But when God makes a promise, oftentimes He will say, If you will do this, then I will take it and make it much greater than that. Let me give you some examples. In this modern climate, Child raising, especially in the teen years, is borderline impossible. No doubt it is a very monumental task. And to be honest with you, I know the teenagers, and y'all are failing. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I'm just kidding. But it's in this world and the, the philosophies of this world and the peer pressures that they deal with and the, the societal climate that we are at now where wickedness seems actually kind of normal and, and doing right is very abnormal. In fact, the minority does right. You're not the cool crowd. You're the lame crowd. You're the square crowd. And, and this climate raising children is a very intimidating task for parents. It is for me anyway. Maybe you're much more spiritual than I. But the Bible does this. It makes us a promise. And it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what's the promise there? That he won't depart from the godly way. But what do we first have to do? Train up a child in the way that he should go. See, it's very reactionary, and this is not just an isolated time where God says, if you will do this, I will do this for you. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So when child rearing and child raising, that's, that's a reactionary promise. Another reactionary promise is simply bearing spiritual fruit. 
See, the Bible says in John chapter 15, and this is a very beautiful passage of Scripture, Abide in me. Well, let me, let me gesture differently. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. What's the promise there? We as Christians can bear spiritual fruit that remains. We can live godly lives and we can impact this world for the cause of Christ. And we can bear fruit that pleases God. But what do we have to do to achieve that? Abide in Him. Because without Him, we could not do this tremendous feat that He's asking us to do. You see, the promise is there, but the promise requires some action on our part. In fact, drawing closer to God is a reactionary promise. The Bible says in James chapter 4, Draw nigh unto God, what's the rest of the verse? And He will draw nigh unto you. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that we are to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts in that same passage. So as we try getting closer to our Lord, we are to show forth effort. And when we show forth effort, what does He do? He walks the extra mile. A very reactionary promise. Even something as simple as receiving physical supplies from the Lord, the Lord says that there is some reaction here. Philippians 4.19, the Bible says, and we all know this verse, it's a beautiful verse, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. What a great verse. And if we have God with unlimited resources and potential to provide, man, what a promise that is. Did you know in verse 18, the Bible talks about a church giving an offering to Paul? And he says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then he goes on to say, but my God shall supply all your needs. So the promise is, when you are generous, God will supply your needs. You know who God is not generous to? The person that hovers over his money, the, pro- the person who's tight with their money, God cannot bless them because they can't give out. And so it's a very reactionary promise. Finally, even something as simple as receiving comfort from the Lord in a difficult time is very reactionary. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what's the next word? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now in that, he says, if you'll just come unto me, if you'll admit that you don't have strength, if you'll admit that there are times in your week, if you'll admit these things, then I will give you rest. But first we must come unto him. Let me put it to you this way. Tonight I brought something with me that I consider a very good friend of mine. Now this is a Yeti cup. For those of you that don't know, a Yeti cup is uh, top of the line. It's the best of the best. In fact, if I'm going to hold such a heavenly liquid like sweet tea, it deserves a good container. 
and I'm too cheap to buy it. So my brother gave it to me. Amen? Praise the Lord. In this glass tonight, I have about 20 ounces or so of red diamond sweet tea. You know how difficult it was for me to bring this from my house to the church without drinking it? Very difficult. I'm actually quite thirsty. I've already talked a lot, and my lips are dry, and I'm getting that uh, gummy taste in the back of my mouth. So I'm, I'm actually really thirsty. I'm very glad I brought this tonight. Um, the Yeti container will no doubt have kept it cold. You see, I can take this container, I can set it on the parking lot and put some ice in it, and the whole day this container will hold ice in this drink and keep it cold all day long because it's Yeti. One day my dad bought a cooler and he was worried about the warranty, and he bought a Yeti cooler and he read the warranty line and it says, warranty, don't worry, it's a Yeti. That's, that's what it says. There's no doubt in my mind that this is cold. And it's sweet tea, so there's no doubt in my mind that I will greatly enjoy it. It will no doubt quench my thirst. It will remove that gummy taste from my mouth and it will give me a, a sweet taste. In fact, we have several kids in uh, the youth department that love sweet tea. Yesterday we went, after we went visiting, we took about 11 people visiting, I think, and, or maybe 10 people visiting, and, and we went to Chicken Express. And I said, how many of you like sweet tea? And nine of them out of 10 said, we want Chicken Express sweet tea. So there you know, God is working in their heart. So amen. God's doing something in their life. Praise Him. But we, we had that sweet tea and they loved it. That's great. My wife was the only oddball and she bought Coca-Cola. Didn't even get a Southern drink. Bought a Yankee drink. How strange. Sean, o Sean Odell. Um... This container tonight holds the drink that I'm craving. This container tonight is keeping it cool so that when I do partake of it, it's going to be good. It's going to be cold. But I can sit here and talk about the wonders of tea all day long. But if that tea stays in that container, it does me no good. You see, it's cause and effect. The effect is that tea has everything that I need. It's, it's wonderful. It's sweet tea. It's red diamond sweet tea. It's the best bottled tea you can buy if it's not bought from Chicken Express. It's the best. The effect. Now, what's the cause? This. And I'm really excited about this part. Pay attention. Here's the cause. Is it implied to slurp in public? I don't know. Is this considered public? I'm not sure. Now, what's the cause? This. What's the effect? <sighs> Stay with me. The promises of God are legitimate. Did you know that someone counted there are over 3,500 promises in the Bible? Most of them apply directly to you and I. The promises of God are the effect. You know what the cause is? Receiving them. Accepting them and following after them. 
Now we're going to leave that to you there. I want to share with you the cause and the effect of the Christian life. How to claim God's promises in our life. Most of the time we focus on the effect that promises have on us. We, we say, oh Lord, you have promised to never leave me and never forsake me. That's the effect of the miracle. That's the effect of the promise. You know what the cause is? Actually doing what the miracle and the promise has prescribed. I want to share with you these three things from this passage tonight. If we're going to claim God's promises in our life, and we're going to have cause and effect type Christianity, first of all, we must acknowledge His desire for our fulfillment. Acknowledge His desire for our fulfillment. Now this is somewhat a hard thing for us as people and as human beings to understand. But pay attention There is a God in heaven who loves you. And there is a God in heaven who cares about you. And there is a God in heaven who wants nothing but good things for you. But did you know we can never claim God's promises for our life until we realize those things? Sometimes it's very easy for us to look at God and say, God, you are so big and I am so insignificant. Why would you ever care about me. That's why the Bible says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Lord, you are so high and I am so low. Your thoughts are so high and mine are so small. Lord, I just don't understand. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that you actually care about my day-to-day life. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God cares about you, and God wants you to receive every promise in this great book of His. But for us to receive God's promise and acknowledge that He truly does want to give us these promises, we must, first of all, recognize our current condition. Look here in the Bible, verse 16. The Bible says this, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, had appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. Now, if, if you know anything about your Bible, the children of Israel have been in bondage now 400 years. They've been in Egypt 400 years. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 41, that it was actually 430 years, I believe. So they've been there a long time. And it would have been easy for them to become accustomed to their conditions. Now, what's gone on so far? Well, one of the things is Pharaoh despised them and saw that they were getting stronger than Egypt. And so what he did is he put taskmasters over them and he overthrew them. He says, unless they get stronger and mightier than us, we must overtake them now. The Bible says at one point they were still growing and they were still still multiplying. And even though they were in bondage, Pharaoh devised a way to, to almost put them in more subjugation. He said, if it's a man-child, kill the man-child. If it's a woman-child, you can let it live. Because they were afraid that Israel would grow and be stronger than Egypt. So they implemented that every Egyptian would kill every male child that was born. Not only that, we're about to see in the Bible how when Moses does come to deliver the children of Israel, and he says, God hath come to me, and he says, let his people go. When he does that, what does Pharaoh do? He turns up the heat, and he says, 
Okay, I'll make their bonds double. I'll set over them taskmasters. I'll make sure that they have to make bricks without straw. I'll make their lives so hard that they won't even think about leaving Egypt. You know, their life was not pleasant here. In fact, it was a life of hard labor, serving a wicked, worldly, hedonistic culture. And they were building monuments for them and and building buildings for them. Now, why wouldn't they want deliverance from that? Why wouldn't they want to be freed from that tyranny, that, that oppression? Well, in order for them to be request, for them to have desire to leave their condition, they must recognize that the condition they have is not good. That's why God looks down and says, I've seen the affliction. I've seen the hurt. I've seen the pain. And I have come so that I can deliver them. Friend, let's be very honest today. There are things in your life that you don't like about yourself. There are things in your life that you wish you could have deliverance from. And did you know what? God looks down from heaven. The Bible says he beholds the evil and the good. God looks on your life and he sees the things that you need deliverance from. He sees your current condition and he sees the future uh, plan for your life. And he says, man, I have this great plan. I've seen your affliction I've seen your problems. For some, it's alcoholism. For others, it's such a simple fact like tithing. For some, it's just, I I don't have enough boldness to share my faith. Whatever your condition is, God says, in order for you to receive deliverance from it, you must realize that where you're at is not a good place to be. You must recognize your current condition. The two angels were sent to Lot in Sodom. And they come to Lot and they say, the Lord's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Lot, we need you to come with us and we need you to gather your family and we need you to, to ex- exit the city so that you can escape God's judgment. Now, what if Lot had said, nah, I'm okay. You know, Sodom's not so bad. If you do your research on Lot, he was actually a leader in the city. He'd become very involved in the city politics, and he was maybe trying to win the city over. But I tell you what, he was not rubbing off on the city. The city was rubbing off on him. And Lot was, was in love with the city. Did you know that even after the angels told him, Lot, we need you to leave with us, the Bible says, and Lot lingered. It was like he wanted to stay. And the angels physically had to grab him by his hand and remove him from the city. You know, what Lot's problem was is he could not realize how far he had gone. The Bible says that Lot vexed his righteous soul. He he was living in Sodom and I guess he just had lost a good uh, perception of where he had gone and he he could have said, well, I'm not that bad, especially compared to some of these other men. I'm I'm a good guy. You know what the Bible says about comparing yourself with others around you? It's not wise. I can only imagine a lot. Well, to be honest, I'm the most righteous man in all the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's not what God had for him. God wanted him to be a pillar of righteousness. God wanted him to be an example. He wanted him to be an Abraham, and he was not that. And it was not until the angels drug him out of the city that he was able to see how far he had gone as his family mocked him for even suggesting that they leave. 
They said, Lot, you've lost it. Lot's wife had fallen so in love with the towns that she looked back and viewed the city and lost her life because of it. Lot lost everything because he could not realize just how far he was away from God. Friend, don't lose everything you have that's precious to you because you can't realize how far you've drifted. Because you can't realize how far you really are. I I believe we ought to be like the psalmist every once in a while just pray to the Lord, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, just, just put me on trial. Show me what's wrong in my life. And you must recognize your current condition. You must also realize the coming changes. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, I don't know about you, I love me some milk, especially chocolate milk. I think I've said this before, but chocolate milk is so good right before bedtime. I think, Brother John, you actually got mad at me. I'm so, hey, I got something for you. Yoo-hoo's. Did you know that they're not... Don't shake your head. Don't you do it. We went to camp the other day, and I loaded $10 on my card. You know what every dollar that went to? Yoo-hoo's. I love them. And they're, they're, they don't have actual milk in them. It's fake, so you don't have to worry about getting sick. Brother Gerald was thanking me for that. Uh, I think he's in the radio room, but he was thanking me for that. I love some chocolate milk, man. It's good stuff. You know what else I love? Honey. I love honey. Honey makes everything taste good. You can take a plain old biscuit that really doesn't taste good at all, put some honey on that thing, and it'll make you want to slap your mama. Your mama, not my mama. She's too sweet of a lady. She's a godly lady. I wouldn't want to slap my mama for anything. But you slap your mama. But we, we hear this phrase, and we don't understand what it would have meant to these people. These people were in bondage. They were told when to work. They were told where to work. They were told when they could eat and exactly how much they could eat. The Bible actually gives us some indication on what they were eating. They were eating fish. They were eating cucumbers while they were in slavery. Now, I hate cucumbers. And fish is good occasionally. But you know what tastes bad if you eat it a lot? Fish. And while they had food, it would not have been good food because they were just slaves. And so to these people, a land flowing with milk and honey that was promised to them, they were going from being owned to having something to own. They were going from being told when to be or where to be, when to be. They were told uh, when to jump and how high. They were going from being told all of this to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that doesn't mean that the streams had actual milk in them. When the Bible says it was flowing with milk, that meant it was good pasture for goats. That would have been their cash crop. That would have been their cash cow, if you will. They would have had plenty of land to support the the goat herds that they would have there. They could have their own goat herds. They could have their own industry. They could have their own business. And the honey would be there. Did you know that when the spies go to spy out the land, they return and they say, well, yeah, 
God was right. It, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything God said. But that's not where they end. They have to get a, a, a rod, if you will, a branch, string it between several men, and hang a cluster of grapes on them. And they come back, and they, they, they report, that yeah, not only does it have milk, and not only does it have honey, but it's actually even better than God even said in the first place. You should see the fruit they have there. And they plop this huge grape cluster on the table. And everybody says, whoa, going from cucumbers to grapes. That's an upgrade. They said it's everything God said it would be and more. Did you know that for you to understand God's promises are real and they're valid to you, you must understand that they're much greater than you even had a plan for in your whole life. They're better than you can even imagine. If you'll just start to pursue them, and very similar to taking a drink of that tea there, if you'll just reach out and claim the promises, God has already given them to you. You must acknowledge His desire for our fulfillment. Secondly, I want you to notice this. We must accept God's direction, or our direction will be filled with obstacles. We must accept our direction will be filled with obstacles. Look in verse number 19. The Bible says this, and this stuck out to me. God's making all these grand promises and, and painting this picture that's going to be awesome for Moses. And then he says in verse 19, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. You know it's inseparable? The promises and the battles. A lot of times what I think happens is we set on our course for claiming God's promises in our own life. I'll give you an example. We set on this course that we're going to read our Bible and have a faithful walk with the Lord each and every day. And we said, man, what a great plan. And if I could just be disciplined and I can just do this, man, I'll, I'll, I'll be feel like I'm in fellowship with God once again. I'll hear His Word, and He can speak to me, and I can speak to Him. It's going to be great. And we set out with these great ideas and these great plans. But three days into it, we get busy. And maybe the boss calls us into work a little bit early, or he asks us to stay a little bit late, and it almost seems like at the end of the day, we've ran out of day. And then the next day, we got to wake up a little early and take the kids to soccer practice, and it's it's like our lives get so busy that now the plans that we had just a few days ago almost fall inferior to what we had have on our plate now. And we set these plans, but we face a battle. The battles and the uh, victories are inseparable. Did you know that before God told them that he was going to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey, he says, I'm going to take you to the land of the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and he lists off four different nations that they're going to have to fight. He says, they're not just going to give you their land. Well, there's going to be battles. In fact, you're going to get there and there's going to be Jericho. And it's going to seem monumental that you could never overtake them and they're going to be there. You're going to get there and there's going to be, uh, uh, even the report of the spies, they say, the city, the walls are, are, are great. The people are huge. It's like, they, I don't know what's in the water over there, but they're building them bigger over there. 
Did you know that they had to face some battles? They were going to face some opposition if they were going to achieve these promises. Parents, raising your children will not be easy. Did you know that occasionally there will be a battle? Like your, your teenager will do something like this. And I, I used to be good at it, and I'm not very good at it now, but it goes something like this. <sighs> do you know you have to face that battle? You'll say, son, I need you to clean your room. Son, you can't go there Friday night. <sniffs> like, that's a, like that's a communication. <laughs> Exhale. <sniffs> <sniffs> and they walk off all huffy and all mad at you. What do you want to do at that point? Lord, thank you for giving me the promise that if I would just train them up in the way that they should... No, I'll tell you what you want to do there. You want to, you know, I was watching uh, old Clint Eastwood the other day bust out an axe handle and beat some, some dudes up. I, I think that I could grab an axe handle right now and bust some skulls on my child. Right? Isn't that the way you feel? Hey, there will be battles. It's an admirable thing for a parent to say, man, I want to raise my child right. But did you know that occasionally that parent's going to have to do more than this? Now, honey... We don't do that. No, they just did. Now, honey, I need you, I need you to behave. You're talking to a two-year-old like they're an adult. Now, now honey, I need you... I, please straighten up. You're embarrassing me. No, you're embarrassing yourself. Did you know there will be battles along every decision that you make? Promises are never easy to claim. Hey, the promise was that Jesus Christ would come to this earth and die for the sins of the world. Do you think that was easy? Every day he faced opposition. Every day he looked at a Pharisee and the Pharisee said, Oh, you're not the son of God. No, I'm the one that came so that you didn't have to die. So that you could have eternal life. Every day he faced opposition. Why should our victories be any different? God has given us many uh, promises, but it's like the first problem that comes our way, it just derails us. And And this is what we say, oh, it must not be God's will. No, God's will is for you to claim every promise in this book. God's will is that you would bear spiritual fruit, but the promise asks of you to abide in Him and He in you so that you can bear fruit for Him. Oh, we face battles, sure. I'm reminded of King David. King David was literally the anointed king of Israel. And what was he doing? Oh, no, he wasn't ruling thousands. What was he doing? He was running from Saul. He wasn't in a palace. He was in a cave. And there was a man hunting him down who basically took all the authority and all the rule of the kingdom. He just set it aside because the one goal in his life was to kill David. Several times he threw spears at David trying to take his life. And David is the anointed king of Israel. David faced battles. He faced conflicts. But you know what David did? He waited on God's timing. He waited on God's plan. And God's plan was perfect, just like it is in your life. 
Even though God has given us problems, man, you're going to face battles. You're going to face conflicts. But it's through those battles that we see God's hand. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, through it, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The Bible says you're going to face manifold temptations, but it's those temptations and it's those battles and it's those struggles that will allow you to look at Jesus at the end and say, Lord, I did it for your glory and Lord, I did it for your honor. You'll face battles. But we must accept that our direction will be filled with opposition and obstacles. And I want you to notice this finally and we're done. Thirdly, if we're going to receive God's promises, if we're going to have a cause and effect type Christianity, we must await God's divine intervention in our achievements. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I want you to take your Bible. Well, look at verse number 20 here with me. If we're going to receive God's promises, we must understand that it's not us in the battle alone. Verse 20, the Bible says, And I will stretch out my hand. And let me interject a word here, but it's, it's not adding to. It's, it's the pronoun that belongs to this. It's the noun that belongs to this. And I will stretch out my hand, and I will smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Now, who is the subject there? Oh, it's not Moses. God's not saying, Moses, if you'll go because of what you do, God, Pharaoh will let you go. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, Moses, if you will just simply step out by faith, I will do the miracle. Moses, if you'll just step out of your comfort zone just a little, I will deliver them. God wasn't looking for a deliverer. He was just simply looking for somebody who would step up. God was the deliverer. That's why at the Red Sea crossing, Moses lifts up his hands and has his staff there, and he says, Stand still and see the salvation of all brother Moses. What does he say? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Man, we have promises that God has given us, but we must understand promises are not claimed because we simply want them. Promises are claimed because God has given them to us, and God will empower us to keep them, and promises are always made by God. I mentioned earlier there's over 3,500 promises in the Bible from God to us. We can read them. Second Peter puts it this way, verse number 4 of chapter 1. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter says this, we've received so many amazing promises. He says exactly what I'm saying to you tonight. God has given us promises. Did you know the Bible says this in John 17, 17? It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Did you know in God there is no ability to lie? In God there is no falsehood. The Bible speaks of, ye are of your father the devil, and all he can do is lie. But when God is your father, he is light. Jesus put it this way, I am the truth, I, I, I am the way, the truth 
and the life. That's what Jesus says. When God says something, you know what it is? Truth. When God says, and it will come to pass, you know what always does? It always comes to pass. If God made us a promise, parents, if God made us the promise that if we would train up a child in the ways they should go, when they're old, they, they should not depart from it. If God made us that promise, you know what he's saying? This is not an if, and, or but situation. This isn't a suggestion and a hope so. This is, if you will go this far, I will go the rest of the way. God is the one that does the promises. Promises are always made by God. But notice this and we're done. Promises can only be limited by men. God's promises can only be limited by men. Now, what's this all talking about? Our whole scripture passage tonight is talking about how God is going to get them out of Egypt to Canaan. He's going to take them from a land of bondage and tyranny to a land of freedom and liberty. And and, and really, it's the picture of victorious Christian living in, in our life. Canaan land is, they arrive and they have everything in God's, uh, God's way for them. And they have freedom and they have uh, ownership and they have possession. It's God's promise. But what happens when they send 12 spies in? Well, they go in and there's 10 of them and there's Joshua and Caleb, right? We know the story. They go in and they see the land flowing with milk and honey. They see the giant fruit, and they even bring it out to show the rest of Israel. What else do they see? Well, they they say they see walled cities that are great. They say they see men that were giants that intimidated them. And this was their own words. I'm not making this up. And we were but grasshoppers in our own eyes. We looked at it and we said, we are way too small to accomplish anything for the glory of God. And so we were in their eyes as well. That's what the Bible says. We were grasshoppers in our own eyes and they looked at us and said the same thing. And then what was the report? We cannot go and overtake the land. We we cannot go and and be victorious. We, We traveled this far and there's just no way for us to claim it. But wait, didn't God say he was the one giving the promise? But wait, didn't God say he was the one that was going to give them the victories? Hey, man, in most of these battles, they don't even raise a sword and God gives them the victory. And they say, we're too small. We're into too, just too insignificant. What did Joshua and Caleb say? Boy, it's time to go fight. It's time to go possess. If God be for us, who can be against us? I don't care if they're this big. I don't care if they're this small. We can squash them like the grasshoppers they are because my God is way bigger than their God. But what happens? Everybody becomes discouraged by the report. The children of Israel began to seek out a new leader because Moses brought them this far just to abandon them. He had no direction. He wasn't truly speaking to God because why would God lead them here this far to to just abandon them? And it grieves God that his children who he delivered from bondage didn't have enough faith to go the 
extra step. And thereby limiting God's promise in their own life, the entire generation had to die in the wilderness. Hey, who was that promise made to? That generation. Who limited the promise of God in their life? They did. Was God's word just as valid to them uh, the whole time if they would have just exhibited a little bit of faith? Absolutely. God's promise was not for their children. God's promise was for them. And it was their lack of faith that limited God's promise in their life. I'll say this and I'm done. I don't know what promise you found in the Bible that you want to claim. Maybe it's simply overcoming daily temptation. Maybe it's simply being a righteous man, thereby receiving boldness so that you can be a witness for the Lord. I don't know what promise it is. There's 3,500 of them that you can name. But here's the truth of the matter. You're the only one limiting God's work in your life. God's waiting for you to step out. God's waiting for you to start a cause. And you know what he's willing to do? Bring the effect. Just like this tea here. That tea can sit in that glass all day long, but until I reach out and take it, you know what it does? It helps no one. And there are so many promises in that book and the book that you're holding in your lap that are absolutely applicable and powerful and precious and monumental for you. But you know what they'll do if you don't claim them? Stay right there. They'll stay in that book and they won't matter to anybody because it's not affecting you.